So, we're going to be starting today in Luke chapter 13. We're just going to look at five verses this morning. It should only take us about 10 or 15 minutes to work through these verses. And uh, if you have questions, feel free. You can raise your hand. I'll stop and answer those questions. But let's begin by reading the text. It's right here on the, on the, uh, the whiteboard, but it's also in our scriptures. And it starts like this. There were present at that very time some who told him about the Galileans. The him is Jesus. There's a group of people. They're talking to Jesus. They told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate was a governor in the day, and he had caused a, a, a great ruckus. And many of the Hebrews, the Galilean Hebrews that were there that day, were killed in this, in this, uh, this, this fight. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. So Jesus is addressing two tragedies that had occurred just a short while ago in this area called Jerusalem. The first tragedy was a massacre that happened of some Galilean Jews who had traveled a couple days' journey to come into Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. So they had brought probably sheep or an oxen to go and sacrifice in the temple as an honor and a gift to God. Now we don't know all the details, the people there in Jerusalem knew the details because this was kind of current news. This was something that had just recently happened. So Jesus said, you know about that story, about those people that were killed. We don't know all the details. Perhaps there was a misunderstanding. Perhaps there was a disagreement or perhaps the soldiers were mistreating these Jews and they, they, they tried to defend themselves and they ended up getting slaughtered. Not only were they killed, but the animals that they had brought to sacrifice to the Lord were killed too. So that's why it says that their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. Terrible tragedy. And he also mentions a second tragedy. Apparently there was a big tower in this uh, area of Jerusalem called Siloam. And the Siloam Tower was unstable. And some people were there just on a pilgrimage to worship the Lord and to give him glory. And that tower crumbled and fell and it toppled onto 18 Jews and killed them. So he asks them a question. This is something that Jesus often does. He asks us questions because he wants us to be thinking about who he is. He wants us to understand him. He doesn't want us to just blindly walk around thinking, oh, there's a Jesus and there's, you know, some people know him, but not me. I'm not a theologian. No, he wants us to think about his son, Jesus. He sent his son to us so that we might want to know him and pursue him. So he asks them a question. He says, do you think that these people who died unexpected deaths, do you think that they died because they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Or all the others who live in Jerusalem? Were they particularly bad people? And so these tragedies came upon them? Now, the first thing I want us to notice about that is an assumption here. Jesus doesn't say, do you think that these Galileans were sinners? He says, do you think they were worse sinners? The assumption there is that we're all sinners, right? It's not like some people are not sinners and other people are terrible sinners. Jesus is basically revealing to us that we are all sinners. But he says, do you think that those ones who that unexpected tragedy happened to, do you think that they were worse sinners than the rest? 
There's some other scriptures that back up this, this idea that we all have sin in our hearts. And sin is not just uh, something that the worst of the worst fall into. It's something that every one of us has to battle against. Ecclesiastes 7.20 in the Old Testament says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Not a single one. 1 John 1.8 in the New Testament says, If we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So every human being, big or small, young or old, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter where you're going, you struggle with sin. And what is sin? Sin is breaking the law of God. It is knowing that there's a God, knowing that there are rules and regulations, that there are commandments that He has given for the conduct of the people that He has made, and then breaking those laws. So when we, when we break the law of God, we sin against not just our fellow people, but we sin against God. I think it's easier for us to see that sin is person to person, right? If I were to go over and take my brother David's hat and run off with it, that would be breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It would be stealing, right? I'd be offending David by taking his hat. But I would also be offending God because God is the king of all creation. And it is his law that says that it's wrong to steal. So I offend my brother David by stealing, but I would also be offending God. And when you break God's law, you're committing a really terrible thing because you owe God everything. God has given you the breath that's in your lungs. God has created this earth upon which your feet walk. God has given you a body that can run and that can speak and that can experience the world through its senses. The reason you have to feed that body is because God has made food for you to enjoy to to nourish you and to help your body to not only live, but if it's hurt or sick, to heal. So we owe tremendously much to the Lord. In fact, we owe Him everything. So when you break a law, you're not just offending a person. You're offending the God who you owe everything to. And so Jesus is addressing a common misconception among the people here. By asking this question, He says, do you think they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans. He's dealing with something that is commonly believed at the time. And the belief is this. People often think bad things happen to bad people. They think that's how the universe works, right? If you do something bad, something bad is going to happen to you. Some people call that cosmic justice. Some people refer to that as karma. And this idea that bad things only happen to bad people, we do see sometimes... Doing sinful things or foolish things can have its own negative consequence. But sometimes people do terrible things and they seem to get away with it. Sometimes people try to live their lives in a, in a holy and righteous way and yet bad things still happen to them. So that's not necessarily the case. You can't assure yourself a good and safe life just by simply keeping the laws of God and doing what you're supposed to do. So that was the first myth he's trying to dispel there. Bad things don't just happen to bad people. Bad things happen to everybody. But we're going to circle back around to that because of the verses I talked, to in just, I talked about just a minute ago. Second myth that he's dispelling here. He says, by, by bringing up this idea of these two tragedies, he's helping us to understand that we can't always trace bad things back to the, things that, uh, the bad things that happened to us back to a direct sin that we, were, we committed that we're being punished for. That's not how it works. The point of what Jesus is teaching the people is not to help them see exactly why bad things happen, even to, to people who seem to de, not de, don't seem to deserve it. The whole point of his teaching is seen in verses 3 and verse 5. You might notice that those verses are exactly the same. 
They are a repetition of themselves. So let's read them again. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In verse 5, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what Jesus is trying to reveal to us, he's trying to shine light on something that people don't totally understand. The misunderstanding is that if I do good things, I will be safe. But he's saying that's not the case. Two things are wrong with thinking that way. Even people who seem to be good will have bad things happen to them, won't they? If we think that our good deeds are enough to save us from misfortune, then we're going to be mighty disappointed with this life. Because I bet you every one of us has got a story about a time when they didn't think they were doing anything wrong and bad happened to them. They probably know somebody who seemed to be trying really hard to do good things and bad things happened to them. So if you think that the secret to life is just do good and good will happen to you, there's more to the equation. Secondly, what did we learn earlier? We learned that everybody sins. Not just the worst sinners that God is concerned with. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Since everybody sins, everybody breaks the law of the king, everybody is a rebel to the kingdom. And everyone deserves to experience, experience hardship and punishment because of that rebellion. The reality is that God is so merciful that he often keeps us from the calamity that we deserve to experience. His mercy means that we don't see the consequences of our sin right away. He often has patience with us and long-suffering. He doesn't make us pay immediately for the bad things that we do. Sometimes he gives us incredible grace and time so that we might see what we have done wrong and do exactly what Jesus is telling us to do here. Repent. God is never ignorant to sin. He doesn't just pretend like it doesn't happen. In fact, it is God's responsibility to ultimately judge each and every sin, including your sin. He's not going to forget any of it. See, God is a perfectly just God. And some people think, well, this world is so wicked. There's so many bad things that go on here. How can a good God be in control of this world? The fact of the matter is God is in complete control, but he's having patience with us. He is giving us time so that even the wicked might repent and turn away from their sin. But there will be a day in the future when all of us, even if you died 2,000 years ago, your soul will come before the throne of God and he will judge all of your sin and he will judge it perfectly. And that is why Jesus calls us to repent. He calls us to repent in verse 3 and in verse 5 because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God must punish sin and he will do so on that final day. Our good deeds, the nice things that we've done to each other, these people who've come to hand out food to you today, people who have paid your bill for you or have, have, have taken the blame for you, all of our good deeds will never be enough to earn us an escape from the consequences of our sin. That is not the means to salvation. But that's how most people think they're going to get to heaven. Most people think, I'm going to do good and my good's going to outweigh my bad. And so the balances in, in the cosmic places are going to say, this guy's mostly good, so they get to go to heaven. But we're still sinners. No matter how much good we do, we've still broken the command of God. But there is hope. And that's why the gospel is called good news. The good hope is this, that God has made a way where we could not find a way. He sent His Son, Jesus, 
to come and be God in the flesh, to live among us. He was like us in every way. Human being had to breathe, had to eat, had to sleep, had to deal with all the tragedy in the world and all the hardships of a, of a life that doesn't always seem just and righteous. He dealt with all of that just like you did. But there was one key difference between Jesus and all of us. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was born under the law, but he was not born under the curse of Adam. God was his spiritual father. He had a virgin mother, and so he did not inherit from the first sinner this natural tendency to rebel against God. So when Jesus walked the earth, he did every law that God commands us to do, and he did it perfectly. He never committed sin, and he always was loving and merciful and kind and did what needed to be done. God has made a way by sending Jesus to fulfill the law, but then to do something shocking. Jesus, who deserves all the glory and all the honor for the good that he has done, instead of demanding that everyone give him honor and glory, he went and took a position of great humility. He allowed himself to be accused of the sins that he did not commit, sins that you and I committed. He allowed himself to go through a mock trial where, where justice was made a shame of. He, was, he allowed himself to be abandoned by his followers and, and to be hated by the world. And they crucified him like a sinner. They didn't take his life away. Jesus offered it up for us. Those people that came to Jerusalem who brought sacrifices to the Lord were bringing those sacrifices in obedience to the commandment. But God gave the commandment to offer those animal sacrifices because that was a sign pointing forward to the one sacrifice that mattered. And the one sacrificial lamb that makes a difference is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this Jesus who came and suffered and died, died to let God bring justice upon the sins of all who would ever trust in him. And so everybody in this room has sinned. And that sin will be paid for in full. It will either be paid for by you in the day of judgment and for eternity. Or if your faith and trust is in Jesus, the Son of God, then he has taken your sin upon his shoulders. And when you come before that throne of judgment, the Lord God will look at you and say, your ledger is clean. You owe nothing because you trusted in Jesus and he suffered in your place. Every sin that you committed against me was, was grievous, was terrible, but he paid the penalty for it. Enter into eternity with me. Your record is clean. Amen. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are at peace today because you believe yourself to be one of the good guys who doesn't commit the kind of sin that God would be angry with, then this scripture is here today to dismantle that artificial peace. It is an empty peace. If you're trusting in your own deeds and your own righteousness to get you into heaven, then you're not trusting in the right source. We can only trust in the work of Jesus because only the work of Jesus is perfect and pure. There is one way to have the assurance of peace, and that's by repenting of your sin and trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we love Miss Mary. Miss Mary is running our table today. Usually there's somebody else here. Our friend Christine usually sits at the table and passes out the numbers. Christine's down in Southern California today because Christine's dad is knocking on the door. He is 89, and he's probably not going to last a couple more days. And that is a sad thing for Christine to be dealing with. 
But it would be so much more tragic if Al, her father, was trusting in his own righteousness to get him into heaven. Al professes Jesus Christ. He has seen many years ago, God showed to him by the Holy Spirit's work in his heart that he was a sinner and that he needed the, the, uh, the regeneration of the Spirit, that he needed forgiveness that could only come through Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to the Lord. And so now he's going to experience death, but he doesn't experience death that leads to judgment. He will go into the arms of his Father, and for eternity he will stand as not an enemy to the kingdom of God, but as a son of the king of the kingdom. So we pray that for you. Do you know that in your heart? If you were to die today, would you have the peace of of understanding that your sins have been crushed on Christ? If not, I, I urge you to think about who Jesus is and to rejoice in the power of his sacrifice, and to think of of even the mercy that he has, that he doesn't punish us immediately for our sins here on earth, but there is time for repentance. We don't know how much you've got. Nobody knows how long they're going to live. But if you are alive, there is time for you to repent and to turn to Christ, and we pray that you'll do that. Let's close in a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord God, for your word and for the power of it. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us conviction if we need conviction. Father, it it is so commonly believed that our good deeds help us to climb the ladder to heaven, Lord God. But there, there's no ladder high enough. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ that can wash our sins away and make us new. And so we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his brilliant perfection. We thank you that he was willing to put aside every temptation and to only and always obey you and trust you. We thank you, Lord God, that when it came time for him to suffer, that he didn't shy away from that. He didn't run away like a coward, but instead in courage, he stood forth. And he took that punishment upon his own shoulders. We thank you for his power supernaturally that though he was a man, he was also God in the flesh. So he died on a cross, but three days later, he rose from the grave because death has no power over God. And so we thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for the living hope that we have in Jesus today. Father, if there's anybody who needs to speak more about this hope, I pray that they will take the time to call us near to them. We can speak about what it means to walk in the truth and to worship you with our lives, Lord. But in the meantime, we thank you for all these friends, and we ask that uh, this time of fellowship would be a sweet time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sarah, if there's anybody All right, so just a quick reminder, everybody, of how we do things.